This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Intel drops next-gen Xeon Phi. Processor updates from SC17. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening in to a special SC17 edition of This Week in HPC. Coming to you from Denver, I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. And This Week in HPC is distributed in partnership with Top500.org. Michael, it's uh, Thursday. We've made it through the show. How's it going for you? Very well. It's been a very interesting show in a lot of different ways. Uh, Not a lot of big news, but sort of some inadvertent big news that we're going to get to in a second. Um, but overall, uh, there's some interesting developments, and of course, uh, all the trends we pointed out in our pre- in our previous podcast, we saw a lot of. But I think we're going to get to some of those in the later podcast. Today, we're going to talk processors because of. Uh, the Intel news. Yeah, there's a lot going on. So we decided to break it up into different podcasts and processors are going to come first. And I'll say, Michael, out of all the SCs I've been to, you know, there's always what's going on in the booth. And then there's always kind of the the subtext, the, the behind the scenes conversations. And here, I think it's what wasn't being said publicly, but what was coming out separately that wound up being one of the biggest stories that in the context of something that looked like a smaller story that Intel was posting about solutions for HPC, there's a bit of a bombshell buried in there that the next-gen Xeon Phi is gone. Right. That's Knight's Hill. So that was the Xeon Phi processor that was going to go into the original Aurora supercomputer for the DOE. That was going to be the 180-plus petaflop system. And so that... Uh, that contract, as we discussed in a previous podcast, was canceled. That was now going to be a, uh, a future exascale system that's going to now be fielded in 2021 with an unknown processor. But the, the news with this week that you alluded to is that they've dropped the processor that was going to go into that, Knight's Hill, which was going to be their basically their third-generation Xeon Phi, and they didn't say what was going to come after that. They just said, we're not doing Knight's Hill anymore. That's a dead product now. And meanwhile, out on the show floor, we didn't really hear a lot about Knight's Landing. I don't recall seeing a lot of demos about it. I don't, maybe someone had them, but I would have expected that we would have seen a lot of Xeon Phi current generation Knight's Landing news. And, you know, not only was there no Knight's Hill, but it's, it seems like there was this undercurrent of downplaying of Knight's Landing, whether that's direct instruction from Intel or not. I don't know. I, you could only speculate, but we just didn't see a lot from the Xeon Phi line this show. Right. Well, the, the scuttlebutt is that not only they're killing Knight's Hill, but the, the actual Xeon my product line might be dead as well. Now, I, I was in contact with Intel about this, and they denied this. They said, no, the Xeon Phi product line is not dead. Now, I'm not even sure what that means anymore. They might just mean that the Xeon Phi products that are out there will continue to be supported, that Knight's Mill, which was the the, uh, the deep learning specialized version that's coming out uh, very soon, probably before the end of the year, will also come out. Um, but I'm still not sure if there's going to be anything... Uh, coming out in that's going to replace Knight's Hill as an HPC processor in the future. And I have no confidence that the Exascale system or the Exascale platform that they're working on for their future Exascale supercomputer will be a Xeon Phi. I think uh, the, the suggestion here is that it's going to be something other than that. It's going to be another type of processor, perhaps based on, on Xeon or some of their other technology that they've been working on. Uh, which could be anything, but it, it might not be a Xeon Phi. They didn't 
They didn't say that, and now I'm beginning to think it won't be. Now, what we're referring to is a blog posted by Trish Damkroger from Intel that says, among other things, the U.S. Department of Energy recently announced intentions by 2021 to, to by 2021 deploy the first U.S. exascale system based on Intel architecture, demonstrating their confidence in Intel's roadmap and exascale technology portfolio. But later in the same blog says, one step we're taking is to replace one of the future Intel Xeon 5 processors, codenamed Nightsill, with a new platform and new microarchitecture specifically designed for exascale. So it says, hey, it's not going to be Knights Hill. It's going to be something else that's going to be new, but we're not saying right now what that is. And it's it's kind of up in the air. But beyond that, not only is Knights Hill not going into this exascale system, apparently it's not coming out at all. Right. And I think basically they used the cover story of, well, we need to revise our roadmap and re retool our resources to meet this this near-term deadline of 2021, which is nearer than what it was going to be. Remember, the, uh, just uh, a year or so ago, they were thinking that the first uh, U.S.-based exascale systems would drop in 2022 or 2023. So the exascale computing project decided to pull that back and figure out if they could get a at least one system, maybe more, in the 2021 timeframe. And Intel is going to be one of those, uh, one of the contractors on one of those systems. So, you know, that's sort of the story. But you know, you can sort of see the the writing on the wall here. I mean, they they failed to produce the original Aurora system, so there was probably some serious problem with the uh, the original Knights Hill chip that they couldn't deliver that in time, or something related to that. So, I th I think they're sort of trying to make this up as they go along. And now that they have the Exascale contract, they can focus on that. But now, at least publicly, nobody knows what they're doing, and nobody knows what that system's going to be like, or if they're going to be able to actually deliver, you know, what they say they're going to do because they're not saying, saying what type of, uh, of platform it's going to be. And then it's the delivery mechanism here that's really funny to me that this comes out in a blog on the Intel IT peer network under the title Unleashing High Performance Computing Today and Tomorrow that's <laughs> ostensibly about new Intel solutions, introducing Intel select solutions for HPC where they're talking about things based on scalable system framework and they've got these customized solutions for one, one Intel select solutions for simulation and modeling and another one that's for genomics analytics. Analytics. And, you know, hey, those sound great. That sounds like good news. It's kind of a, a, a solution we want to see in this market. But to have a sentence buried in there about, oh, by the way, no Knights Hill was kind of weird. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine why they would have rolled it out. I mean, you would have thought if they had said that, it would have been in conjunction with filling in the, the roadmap to replace that. I mean, just saying they're going to they're gonna revise that or they're going to do something else with it. I mean, it's it just puts more uncertainty into the air. So uh, maybe that was a mistake or maybe that's the way they wanted to do it, but it, it does leave a lot of uncertainty in, in, the, in the minds of, uh, of, of users and vendors on what's going to happen next. All right. Well, speaking of uncertainty, Michael, what this essentially points to is the fact that the processor game in HPC is wide open right now. And we're hearing a lot of other news from a lot of other companies. And we can talk about AMD, ARM, GPU, power. I think out of all of them, the one that had the biggest set of news at this show that we were hearing about officially was ARM. Yeah, and, and especially in relation to Cavium. Cavium had a lot of announcements, a lot of partnership announcements for OEMs and other system builders picking up their second-generation uh, 
Thunder X2 chip, which is the, the follow-on to their Thunder X chip. And that was a much more powerful chip that's more geared for performance than the original technology. So we had, just this week, we had Cray adding the Thunder X2 chip option to their XE50 supercomputer. Right. That's a top-of-the-line system. They, they built an arm blade that for that. Um, so you can actually mix and match ARM with, with other processors, Xeons or, or NVIDIA GPUs, Xeon 5s, nice landing versions, and, and build a, anything you want out of that. But they actually uh, did this. They built all the software around it to support it on their Ares Interconnect and all the other pieces of the XC50 supercomputer. So they're in the crazy the ARM business now. And uh, just uh, the next day or maybe the same day, HP announced the Apollo 70, which is another Thunder X2 powered uh, uh, powered Apollo server. And then we had uh, also uh, Gigabyte and Ingresys. Now Ingresys is, a, I think it's an ODM, it's a Foxconn subsidiary, so they build basically these uh, simplified boxes. But they're gonna pick, pick up the Thunder X2 chip as well and probably build those for uh, some mass deployments maybe in, the, in some of the hyperscale companies. So they've, now they've got four just Thunder X2 uh, uh, system builders, plus uh, Atos announced that they would pick up that uh, support as well a few months back. So some of the big names in supercomputer are actually uh, going to build ARM supercomputers now. And it's not just those because they're essentially joining other companies that were already doing different forms of that ARM chip, most notably uh, with uh, uh, Fujitsu, of course, for the post-K architecture, that's a different right. ARM chip. Penguin has ARM E4 in Italy. So we've been seeing more and more ARM with uh, the HPC vendors. But I kind of – I admit I came into this week spoiling for a fight around ARM because we hear all these exascale plans based on ARM. And what I really wanted to hear about was the software. So I went into a lot of these announcements pretty aggressive about, all right, so tell me about – you know development environments and middleware. And I have to say, I was pretty pleased with all of the answers you know, talking to uh, Penguin and Fujitsu and Cray. Cray, as part of their announcement, announced the whole programming environment, that they're using the same programming environment on Cray, the same interconnect with Ares and moving that over into these systems. So, uh, and also from ARM and, uh, and Cavium itself, I'm, uh, independent companies like Rogue Wave, I'm hearing good news about programming tools, development environments, middleware for ARM in general. Yeah, I think they've come a long way. I think part of that was their partnership with these other companies, but also they remember they picked up Alinea, which uh, which yep. had debugger and some other software development tools, and and then with just open source partners, they're picking up a lot of uh, software support. So they've done this methodically. I mean, it, it hasn't been overnight. And remember, they started this uh, four or five years ago, but now it's built up to the point where I think they're getting some critical mass, and certainly the support from the uh, the OEMs and and some of the system builders is helping. Well, so I think we're on the cusp of seeing some honest-to-God supercomputers. Now, remember, the, the XC50 with this ARM option is going to be the, the Ismabard uh, system, which is going to be deployed, I think, early next year now, I think it's scheduled for. So we're going to see uh, that system. It's, it's not a huge supercomputer, but it's fairly large, and it's got something on the order of 10,000 cores. So it's a, a significant ARM uh, HPC cluster. And then um, you know, Atos is going to build the Mont Blanc prototype, which is size system again with the same chips so we're going to see some uh production and uh and prototype systems built with these 
with these newer chips now, and I think this is going to get things moving. Yeah, I think you're right. And bo- you know, before we uh, count Cavium as the only notable ARM vendor out there, it should be noted that Qualcomm was also at the show. Now they're targeting more of the hyperscale space, but Qualcomm was, was had a chip in hand that they're showing as the as the first. Uh, chip for data center markets based on a 10 nanometer process. It's a single socket, 48 core, 120 watt chip, the Qualcomm centric uh, chip. And so, you know, I think that's notable that uh, Qualcomm does have a a product out there that's based on ARM for the, uh, for the hyperscales. Yeah. In fact, there was a session uh, led by somebody at at ARM limited and they, they talked a little bit about Qualcomm as well. And they were saying, they were suggesting their second or Qualcomm second and third generation ARM chips might be a little more oriented towards the performance end of the market. So we might see some some competition there. Right now, Cavium seems to be the one concentrating for these performance chips with, with high memory uh, bandwidth and capacity and some of the other goodies that you might expect from a, uh, a high performance chip. But Qualcomm might move along. And of course, you know, the resources of Qualcomm are considerable, so they could... Uh, if they put their mind to it, they could easily build uh, variants of, of what they produce now and and uh, come up with some high-performance chip that might be very competitive in a, in a couple of years. Now, talking about other options out there, when we were talking in our last podcast that we recorded at the Beowulf Bash on this week in HPC, we talked about some systems that didn't show up on the list. ARM was one of the categories. Another one was power. Uh, with regard, not not that there weren't any power systems, but at the top of the the uh, list, we were looking for some of those early coral systems. Uh, what we're really thinking is now that, uh, or that IBM is saying now, is that those systems are going to start seeing general availability on portions of those systems by the end of the year, together with introduction of Power Nine and the next generation Minsky architecture. Right. I, I think the official launch of Power Nine will come uh, before the end of the year. So. The those the Summit and Sierra systems will be built with those chips, the first chips rolling off the line there, and then everybody else who needs, who wants to move up to the Power Nine, and with or without the GPUs can do so. So 2018 looks to be the year of Power Nine, and we'll see how much traction it gets. But certainly, they're going to get a lot of play with these two huge supercomputer deployments uh, at the DOE. It's uh, you know, added together, it's going to be something like 400 teraflop petaflops. Um, with the Power 9s and, and that the GPUs to roll through pretty easily. Yeah, to be sure, that's a big boost they get from Coral. They will need a broader campaign around that that we didn't really see with Power 8. We, we, right. They're going to they're gonna have to reinvigorate that with Power 9 to try to get going. Now, you mentioned GPU there. We didn't talk about NVIDIA at all just yet. And NVIDIA, what can you say? I mean, they, they come out to have a big presence. They have a big presence. They kept doing a lot of the things they've been doing. Again, the message was really dominated by AI and deep learning as it has been with their messaging, although not entirely. They use some not, they use some Intersect 360 research on our site census data that's recently come in about the top 50 applications in this space. And Intersect 360 research independently verified that out of those top 50 uh, applications mentioned by HPC users, the top 15 of them, actually the top 17 of them, all have versions that support GPU computing. And out of the full top 50, 35 out of the top 50 plus two more that are currently under development uh, have uh, support for GPU computing. And that was a highlight of their announcement. Even as they've talked about AI and deep learning so much, I mean, uh, sort of the 
lesser uh, visibility has been on the HPC side, but they've continued to develop those areas. Um, and in this conference, they talked about some other things they were doing, including containerized HPC stacks for their uh, NVIDIA, NVIDIA uh, uh, cloud as well. So they're moving forward again on the software side of HPC, um, just not as visibly, but at this show, they, they did have some interesting announcements. So they're, right now they're in the, in the driver's seat in, in that area as, as the accelerator of choice for, for, this, uh, for this sector. Yeah, I was thinking about this in in particular in parallel to what you were just saying about ARM, that this has been five years of development uh, already, and we're looking at the next five years away to get to some of these large systems. So that's about where we are with NVIDIA right now, that this has been a 10, 11-year campaign up until this point on CUDA to start building out this ecosystem. That's how long it takes. You're talking about a decade-long program to really build a strong application portfolio. All right, one more chip that we really got to talk about, though, if we're talking about alternatives to the dominant Intel play in the market, is AMD is, is back again. Now, we had the epic launch back at the ISC timeframe. It was weird that they weren't at ISC during their launch of the epic processor. But now that we're here at SC, AMD did show up and in force. And there was a lot of talk about this epic processor. Yeah, as empty as the booth was at ISC, the, the booth was full, uh, the AMD booth was full at, at SC. They always had something going on. They were talking about Epic extensively for high-performance computing. They've got some interesting features there that are going to, that are going to interest uh, this crowd. They were also talking about their instinct uh, GPUs that was also aimed at uh, compute acceleration. So uh, it was almost a constant session or... Uh, presentation going on in the booth, and there were big crowds there. We were right next to it uh, where we were located, and I can't remember a time where there wasn't a crowd uh, sitting around that booth listening to, to one story or another. Yeah, on the GPU side, it's going to be a question of to what extent that they can leverage people's development on CUDA already, and you know, how readily can I move from an NVIDIA GPU environment over to a hybrid AMD APU environment using their CPU and GPU, and AMD is reportedly putting together developer tools for that. I think that software ecosystem that we've been emphasizing here is the key to AMD's ability to succeed. That's, that's really where I worry about are they really in the game? Are they behind? It's difficult for me to judge, but that's what people are going to be gauging them on as they really re-engage into the HPC market. It's it's kind of exciting to have AMD back in the game. Yeah, it is, and yeah, it's it's going to be. I think it's going to be an uphill battle for them, but it's they've got a unique uh, position now. They're the only vendor who offers a CPU and a GPU accelerator, and they can leverage that. And so, if they can leverage that in some way to make it work for them. Um, they might have that differentiation that's needed to get a foothold into this market. All right, Michael, we've talked a lot about stuff from SC17. We covered just the processors. We could talk about systems. We could talk about interconnects. We talked at Intersect 360 Research, we talked a ton about storage this week and everything that's going on with storage tiers and burst buffers and NVDIMs. We're going to have to save all that for another episode. We'll come back and cover some more news, wrap things up from Denver. But, uh, but it was a great show. I hope you had a good time. I had a great time. It was a very interesting show. Glad I came and uh, yeah, 
can't wait to come back. <laughs> well, in fact, we will be back here in two years. Next year, we'll be in Dallas, and then two years hence, we're we're back in Denver again. There were a lot of a lot of big highlights. I also want to talk about student cluster competition. I want to talk about some of our our uh, overall views from the show, but uh, we'll come back to that on a future episode. Sounds good. All right, Michael, thanks a lot. Uh, travel safe, and uh, thanks to everyone for tuning in. Uh, signing off from SC17. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com. <laughs>